0: Infirmary Media.
1: People engage to stop the in decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love.
2: Jewel in decades.
1: Poop culture popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Fan hater locked in mortal combat with David Gray. Fan out ballet and sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love.
2: Jewel in decades. Broadcasting from the Infirmary Media Studios, it's the adult only retro game show where the 80s and 90s do battle because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. Let's take a look at this week's duelers and the decades they will be fighting for in a worst month matchup. First off, dueling with the worst of December 1980. Here's the current Dueling Decades champion. He is the Mighty Man Crush.
1: What's up? That's right. I got December of 1980. I'm excited to do this because this is the first time I've gotten to do a worst of month. So let's see how bad we can make it. I'm excited. Bring in the sadness.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And because Man Crush has won quite a few battles in a row, we decided to bring a little challenge to tonight's game. Man Crush has no clue who his opponent is tonight. So for this special unsanctioned non-title matchup, his mystery opponent will be making her debut and dueling with the worst of December of 1995.
3: Hello, I'm Julie Basil with Flickers from the Cage podcast, and I am here to defend the worst of December, 1995.
2: And as always here on our show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So tonight, our judge is a loyal listener of the show, a member of our online community, and a trivia mainstay on our leaderboards. Ladies and gentlemen, please rise for Judge Dallas Lewis.
0: Hey, guys, I'm here. You know, you wanted the worst, you got the worst.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. Duelers, I can assure you it's not a Tuma, but it is time to play... Dueling Decade! (laughs) <laughs> All right, let's head over to Judge Dallas Lewis for the official toss-off.
0: All right, so I've got my official challenge coin here. So I believe it's Lady's Choice being the challenger as well. So I've got one side with the shield logo and another side, which has a whole bunch of sayings. So choose your size wisely.
3: The shield, please.
0: The shield, please. Okay, we're going to go up.
3: Oh, man, that's had some weight.
0: Oh, dude, it does have some weight. And it's on the saying side. So Man Crush gets to go first.
2: All right, Man Crush, you got control of the board. What category would we like first? All right. So
1: I'm going to kind of go with something you said last episode where you said, uh, whoever starts with movies wins all the time.
2: Yeah. It's the new strategy. It's, yeah, it's
1: apparently. Uh, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to start with movies for the worst of December oh boy. 1980. All right, so December 19th, 1980. Uh, Here's a movie that's directed by an absolute Hollywood legend. Same director behind such classics as Superman, The Goonies, Lethal Weapon. And if you know your movies, you know that's Richard Donner. The Um, guy's resume is stacked. Perhaps this movie is decent. I've never seen it. It had a fairly short stay in theaters, and the sales numbers must be in the gutter because I can't find anything about it anywhere. Uh, the movie's called Inside Moves, and let me read you a little synopsis of the movie. It pretty much sums up why nobody went to see this. After a failed suicide attempt leaves him partially crippled, because he tried to jump off a roof and broke his legs. I'll just give you that. Rory begins spending a lot of time in a neighborhood bar full of interesting misfits. When Jerry the bartender suddenly finds himself playing basketball for the Golden State Warriors rory and the rest of the bar regulars hope his success will provide a lift to their sagging spirits will jerry forget his friends and what about his junkie hooker girlfriend and her pimp (laughs) if that doesn't sound like a what the fuck movie i don't know what does a guy tries to kill himself cripples himself in the process and his only solace is going to the local bar with other misfits and then the bartender of said bar ends up playing professional fucking basketball for the <laughs> gold state warriors. Uh, he, and he has a junkie hooker for a girlfriend and, uh, Oh, this is good too. The, uh, the, the bartender also has a bum leg. So apparently everybody at this bar is disabled and, uh, some <laughs> basketball player pays for the bartender to get surgery on his bum leg. And he becomes a basketball star in the process and leaves everybody behind. Spoiler. Not that you would go see this piece of shit anyway. uh, Who knows? Uh, People seem to think uh, this is a decent movie, but it sounds fucking weird to me. So the first one I'm going with is Inside Moves, Richard Donner flick, December 19th, 1980. And the second one gets no better. December 1st. And then there's no reason in hiding the names of these gems and making guys wait. You don't know them anyhow. So this movie is called A Change of Seasons. And actually ended up making about $16 million in the box office, about $49 million in 2019. So that's pretty respectable numbers. But first, let me tell you the cast before I go into what it's about. I think associating the name and faces of the cast to, the, to this synopsis will paint a fantastic picture of this movie. You got Bo Derek. All right. So you know where this is going. Then you got Anthony Hopkins. Oh, gosh. We thought we knew where this was going. And then you have Shirley MacLaine. And you know what, Mark? That's the second time in two episodes in a row that I've had uh, Shirley MacLaine pick. So yeah. I might have to go back and watch some of her movies.
2: Well, maybe we're going to have to reach out to Shirley MacLaine and see if she wants to come on the show as a judge. Is she still alive? I have no clue. But <laughs> we'd find out if we reached out, wouldn't we?
1: Uh, I guess we would. I'm sorry. She's, she's no longer with us. Uh, all right. So here's a synopsis of this film. Uh, a self-centered university lecturer, our boy Hannibal Lecter himself, and Anthony Hopkins, he looks like a straight-up pedo from, like, different strokes, like the bike shop episode. You know what I'm talking about? That's what he looks like in this movie. He's got, like, the tinted glasses, his head, like, everything about him. Uh, but he thinks it's quite all right that he's taken to one of his students as a lover, Bo Derrick, who is clearly out of his league, uh, but is deeply hurt when his wife, Shirley McLean retaliates by taking a similar approach with a visiting carpenter, who's also young as shit. Uh, so she's fucking the carpenter on the side. He's banging Bo Derek, and he makes an announcement that he's going to go to his family holiday home for some skiing with Bo Derek. He tells his wife this, all right? And he's met by his wife, insisting that she and her new fuck buddy, the carpenter, also go. So the whole movie, is it's set like at the ski resort, and it's just an awkward time with all four of them. Uh, if you watch the trailer, because that's all I can really get through with this movie, they give you this build up like it's an adult version of like the teen sex comedies that started to Sprout right around the early 80s. And if you listen to the guy's voice, it's the same guy that did all the trailers for those movies. So it's completely bizarre. It's so miscast. You got Anthony Hopkins and Shirley MacLaine who have Oscars in this movie and they have no business being in it. But the thing is, like, Bo Derek at the time was, like, super hot because she was coming off of 10, where basically she played the same exact role where she's hooking up with a middle-aged Dudley Moore. So what can you say? She's typecasted. But that's the two movies I have. We have a change of the seasons or change of the seasons and Inside Moves for December of 1980.
2: Pretty shitty. (laughs) All right, Julie, over to you for the movies round. What do you have for your first film?
3: Okay, so my first film is Cutthroat Island. (laughs) It came out December 22nd, 1995. Uh, Director Rennie Harlan has a 5.7 on IMDb. Uh, It's a terrible movie. I watched it the other day. My coworker Barbara gave a copy because she really, really likes it. So she, she lent it to me. It was really nice of her. I thought I'd like it because I had Gina Davis in it, uh, but it, it's not a good movie. <laughs> uh, I did palate cleanse it by watching Heat and Sudden Death, which came out this year as well, or this <laughs> month, which are two of my favorites, hands down. This movie was in the top five worst flops of all time.
1: Oh,
3: man. Everyone hates on Waterworld, which came out that summer, but this was like way worse than Waterworld. Uh, It's all the costs spiraled out of control. They had over three cameras on each um, set, which ended up costing tons of time and money money for editing. It ended up going bankrupt. It bankrupted (laughs) a production company called Carl Co.
1: Oh man, that was a good one And Carl
3: Co, we all know and love. T2, Total Recall, Rambo series. Um, but between Showgirls, that came out earlier in the year, which won lots of Razzie awards and was a super fun movie, <laughs> and and this, it just completely bankrupted Carl Co. Pictures. Wow.
2: Yeah, I, I almost spit out my coffee when you mentioned Cutthroat <laughs> Island. That's a movie I have a distinct memory of because I have no memory of the movie. It's one of those movies that you took a date to in high school and you sat in the back and you really didn't watch the movie. I always thought they should have had a video rental store called Back Row Video. And it's all the movies you can go and rent that you went to the theaters not to watch, if you know what I mean.
1: I hope you stop talking to Barbara after that. <laughs> I was pretty low in her part. I mean, she was like, "Oh, hey, Julie, you're new here. Watch this movie, Cutthroat <laughs> Island. It's so good."
3: Well, Barbara also gave me a record of Conan the Barbarian, so I kind of love her.
1: Oh man!
3: <laughs> no matter what, you I know? guess that
1: evens
0: out. It was the bribe. Yeah. Switches <laughs> <up>. yeah.
3: <laughs> um. So yeah, I'm going to be honest. Uh, that's my only one. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I went bold.
1: 1995 was that good, huh?
3: It was.
1: <laughs> it gets close, like 95, 96, 97. That's where you're getting close to the downfall of everything.
3: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know? Well, also, December, a lot of things come out in September or like through like November, I feel like.
1: Yeah, the, I think December of 80 was a pretty decent month. There were some decent movies in there. I wouldn't say any were many time rewatchable movies, but they were all right but I think yeah. you might've had some better stuff in 95. They didn't really have like those event movies in December of 1980 yet. Like yeah. there were no Titanics yeah. or anything like that. So it is what it is.
3: Yeah. But your 1980 was an amazing year for um, movies like October. you was that when the fog came out and terror train Ooh. prom night.
1: Wow. Oh man. She's going with all the, uh, the, Deep cut, like horror selections. I like it.
2: Man, you might be lucky that this is a non title matchup, man. Crush, just saying.
1: Well, I mean, she did bring one to the round. I mean, that's got to be a, kind of a major thing. I mean.
2: <laughs> let's find out what our judge, Dallas Lewis, has to say. So let's kick it down to him for the judgment for round one.
0: Oh, man. So you really were coming with the worst of the worst because I've never heard of any of these movies. Yes. So, you've got a Richard Donner flop in 80 with inside moves, and a change of seasons, but the thing that really sets it over the top is to bankrupt a studio. Yeah. I'm, you know, even though you've got the two movies, Man Crush, her movie was so bad (laughs) that it literally, (laughs) literally bankrupt a studio that had good movies yep so i've got to give it to julie on this one
1: that is a big one as soon as she started saying it i was like damn that's a good one (laughs) like and it's one of those movies where you don't even remember what year it came out because it's such a shitty movie you're like i know it's mid 90s i don't know but it doesn't matter because it's shitty (laughs) but you know what (laughs) i hope you drop like a sad track for uh krauko in the background. I'm getting a little misty.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Julie, you jump out to an early lead and have control of the board. What category would you like next?
3: Okay. Um, let's go with TV. So my first television, I do have two for this one is before MTV, Tom Green had a Canadian public access channel in Ottawa. This was a Christmas special that he had, and it was considered lost. Tom was searching for it through social media for years. The idea was to create a live Christmas special where in the early introductory moments, the host suffers from a meltdown, but continues to broadcast. This is part like ridiculous performance art, part complete insanity. It has terrible 90s overlays all over it. It looks like a crack house Christmas special. (laughs) And the awkward factor is sky high. Um, I think I I think it's an hour long and I got through like 20 minutes and it's just like you start like turning red and getting so uncomfortable uh, feeling his just emotions and uh in true form this is tom green's most bizarre christmas special i think ever made just in total um
1: wait he had more than one christmas special
3: (laughs) that was what
0: i was wondering
3: uh no i think it's just sorry i said that incorrectly it's just one of the most bizarre christmas specials (laughs) ever made
1: (laughs) tom's green's like one of those people though like you either love him or hate him like i love tom green mark doesn't like tom green like There's no gray area with Tom Green. It's like,
0: it's a love or hate thing. It's a red or green situation. It really is. The only thing I can
3: remember about him is the uh, MTV show that he had. And he drew, he had somebody airbrush two lesbians on his mother's (laughs) vehicle. And that's all I remember. But mom, they're in love.
1: So awesome. There's so many quotable. I like maybe maybe that's just my humor is like it's such a bar level that it's so bad, but man, even Freddie got fingered. I could watch that movie like a hundred times in a row. It's so funny.
3: <laughs> it's good. Okay, so round two is the sponge. It's the 119th episode of Seinfeld. It aired on December 7th, 1995. Uh, Lena might have been the kindest and most compassionate girl that Jerry ever dated, but that closet was full of sponges, and it said something completely different. She broke up with Jerry because he changed the tags on his jeans from a 32 to a 31. Uh, she was fed, like messed up far beyond what any anyone would have known. And the moral of the story is when Kramer passes you an AIDS walk list to sign don't take a chick's number from it. It was one of the worst <laughs> decisions that Jerry has made that year. And he had a lot of terrible girlfriends.
1: He did.
2: Oh my God. So many.
1: Well, that's what made the show so great though. Cause yeah. if he had good yeah. girlfriends, who cares?
2: <laughs> right.
1: So it's all about vulva.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> Now we're going to get sued by Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, Hopefully not.
2: (laughs) No, he's a loyal listener to the show. Listens in his car while getting coffee. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man, Crush. Let's kick it over to you for the TV round. What do you got, man?
1: All right. Well, unlike Julie, I guarantee you've not heard of either one of these shows. (laughs) Uh, This one, it sounds like something that would be so 2019. Uh, this began as a movie in 1974, and it starred James Kahn and Alan Arkin. So let's wait six years, and let's do a television adaptation of the movie and make it a show. Why not? That's so something that would happen nowadays. Uh, surely people were flocking to their Lazy Boys on Saturday nights to watch Freebie and the Bean, December 6, 1981. <laughs> And it's actually a good movie, but the, this, nah, uh, CBS debuts freebie and the bean. It's a buddy cop series. It takes place in San Francisco and it starred Tom Mason and Hector Elizondo. Uh, you would actually recognize Elizondo. He's the guy who plays the head coach in unnecessary roughness yep. that I just watched the other night. That's why I watched it. Cause I was like, I got to watch something good that Elizondo was in. Uh, but anywho, the show went on to last for a whole six episodes Before it was tossed in a dumpster fire, CBS attempted to put it against The Love Boat, but apparently it was no match. Uh, They filmed nine episodes of the show, but they called it quits after episode six on January 17th, 1981. Wow. And this is great. If you look it up on IMDb, (laughs) this is what it says. All right. This is what it says. The show is about series based on Richard Rush film starring James Conn and Alan Arkin. Kind of says it all. That's all it (laughs) says
2: descriptive yeah
1: it really is so go look for that one i actually found an ad from a newspaper and it actually doesn't look bad it looks like something maybe i would try to give a chance to maybe somebody did but i couldn't even find ratings in the top 20 for this thing so it was a total piece of shit yeah
2: i bet they canceled it because everyone started calling it flicking the bean (laughs) well they would have
1: watched well they probably maybe they watched the first episode and saw like oh
2: it's not flicking the bean oh (laughs) screw this this
1: is garbage what is this (laughs) shit
3: boring
1: all right anyhow let's move on uh sticking with cbs they're at it again another flop on saturday nights also starting december 6th 1980 this time in the 9 p.m. time slot, right after Freebie and the Bean. So think about that as a lead-in. Getting get all them fucking ratings on Saturday nights. Uh, this one was a nighttime soap opera that starred the a young Linda Hamilton and Lorenzo Lamas. Uh, CBS was searching for a teen audience, so Saturday at 9 p.m. Why not? It's a perfect time. to Tell the story of Midland Heights or The Secrets of Midland Heights, to be more exact, a show filled with scandalous love triangles and other hidden secrets. That's what it says on the poster. I don't know what those secrets are. Obviously, they weren't that good because (laughs) CBS shit-canned this show in January as well. Uh, It made it a whole week longer than Freebie and the Bean. They canceled this one January 24th of 1981 without even airing the last two
2: finished episodes. The secret is you'll never find out the secret. (laughs)
1: Well, no, hold on. There's more. So, uh, you know, Fred, not with CBS. They thought that they had something with secrets of Midland Heights. It just needed a retooling. So they were going to bring it back in the fall. So much of the same cast came back, including Linda Hamilton, except for uh, Lorenzo Lamas had left. Uh, He was going to start Falcon Crest. But they, uh, they retooled it. They put it out in the fall as King's Crossing, which had nothing to do with Midland Heights. Just same premise uh well nobody wanted to watch that piece of shit either and that only lasted (laughs) seven episodes before catching the axe and they recorded 10 of that one and they only aired seven uh so there you have it it's uh cbs shitting all over saturday nights in december
3: 1980
1: wow (laughs) wow I don't even remember the show's names anymore it's, They're that bad What the fuck was it? It was a Secret of Midland Heights And Freebie and the Bean Not to be confused with Flicking the Bean
2: Right <laughs> Or Freebie and the Bean sounds like a crazy morning Zoo radio team <laughs> such,
1: Like even the movie is a, It's a good buddy cop movie from the 70s But the show it's, I don't know come on it's Just all over the place
2: Alright so let's head down to Dallas Lewis For the judgment for the television round
0: Oh, man. So, I've seen Tom Green when he had his illustrious show on MTV, but the fact that he had a Christmas special, which almost sounds like it's probably up there with the Star Wars Christmas special that I've only watched once in my life, for obvious reasons.
1: <laughs> it's excellent. <laughs> the fucking Wookiees will give you nightmares.
0: Oh, dude. I couldn't sleep for a whole week <laughs> after that.
2: <It> awful. <laughs> Told you not to drop that acid, man.
0: <laughs> Dude, seriously. Um, but you got to give it up to the crappy broadcasting system. I mean, CBS, sorry. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I get it. Especially in
1: 1980.
0: For having two shows back-to-back, both getting canned the next month, and for the sheer fact that they retooled Midland Heights to King's Crossing and it got canned yet again after seven episodes. So I've got to hand it to nineteen eighty on the worst TV.
2: Alright, man crush. You tie up the game at one point apiece. You regain control of the board. What category would you like next, man?
1: Uh let's go with news. It's a good one-pointer. All right, so December 20th, 1980. Uh, I think I don't know, maybe Dallas has picked this up, but most people who are familiar with the show. They know that I'm a diehard New York Jets fan. I've been a suffering fan of these pricks for my entire life. <laughs> and as, as a Jets fan, we have this term that we throw around when describing our favorite team. It's called SOJ, otherwise known as same old Jets. And then we we go by the SOJF. We're the same old Jets fans because we're a bunch of assholes. Because no matter what it is, the Jets will fuck it up one way or another And all of us masochistic fans of this organization, we stick around in hopes of it changing one day. And being a fan of this team for 41 years, I can tell you it will never change. Mark knows. I have season tickets. I go to these games and I'm like, (laughs) what the fuck is going on? But anyhow, that's nowhere here or there. But here's an example before I get into the story. Because there's other people that fuck over the Jets, too. It's not just the Jets. An example, 1968, they had the Heidi game. I don't know if you guys know about this. It's a game where the Jets were actually beating the Raiders with like a minute left. And then they decided to switch over to the movie Heidi in the last minute because the uh, the Jets were winning like 27 to 23 or something. And the Raiders ended up scoring two touchdowns in that final minute and they win the game. But nobody ever saw it because they turned it off. That's the same old Jets <laughs> moment. Well, here's another one. Not quite as dramatic as that one. But the Jets ended up winning this one against the Dolphins. Go figure it was 24 to 17 on December 20th. However, that Saturday night in front of a national audience, NBC, they tried to play an entire three-hour football game without announcers or commentary. NBC attempted to pick up more noise from the football field, almost like some kind of weird ASMR of football, but they failed royally. NBC tried promoting the game by telling viewers they would, in lieu of announcers, have the experience of actually being in the stadium. Well, it failed miserably. It was such a failed experiment that it was never tried again by any professional sport to date. So why not give the same old Jets the distinction of putting this piece of garbage in our lineage? Thank you, NBC. Another fucking uh, notch on the belt there for the Jets. That one's not as sad as my second story, and that's why I had to start with something more fun December 4th, 1980, and this is an example of something I would never bring to the table in a normal news round, but I'm bringing the sadness this week, Mark. You'll oh, see what no. I'm saying.
2: You know what happens when you bring the sadness, I don't know man. in a
1: worst of episode. It might be completely different. We're going to find out. The title of the story is City in Ruins. Uh, the Stofer's Inn, located 20 miles north of Manhattan, along the hillside strip called the Platinum Mile because of its concentration of corporate headquarters. The hotel was built in 1977 for $20 million, it had 366 guest rooms, blah, blah, blah. It was basically in proximity of PepsiCo, General Foods, IBM, Nestle, and Aero Electronics. So people were always going there for meetings and whatnot. Well, anyhow, on the 4th at 10.20 a.m., a fire broke out just outside of one of the conference rooms on the second floor. And it spread incredibly quick due to the lack of sprinklers and the use of the inn's highly flammable wall coverings and carpet. A total of 26 people attending a breakfast meeting died in the smoke and flames, including 13 top executives of Aero Electronics and 11 employees of Nestle. Pretty ironic here. Nestle was actually the parent company of Stouffer's at the time. And then there was a dude in the building. This this part of the article killed me. This was the second hotel fire with a death toll in two weeks. Just thirteen days earlier, a fire at the MGM Grand Hotel Casino in Vegas, Nevada, killed eighty five people and more than seven hundred people were injured. Howard Levin, an employer of Arrow Electronics, narrowly escaped both the MGM and Stouffer fires. When asked if he considered himself lucky. Or unlucky, he said, I consider myself the former. So this dude was in both of these, like, catastrophic fires within two weeks and lived for both of them. And, I mean, wow. combined, that's over 100 deaths. It's insane. And then they had, they had the wrong guy on trial at first. Uh, they thought it was arson, and then it turned out not to be. And then there was, like, a $50 million lawsuit that went to all the families. But, yeah, I'm bringing the sadness with this one and that's going to be that Stover's Inn fire over in I think it was Harrison, New York is where that happened on December 4th, 1980. And then my same old fucking Jets December 20th, 1980 getting an entire game with no commentary. There's the news for December 1980.
2: Shitty. <laughs> wow, that's pretty bad, man, crush. But let's see what Julie has for the news round.
3: Okay, so my first piece of news would be Money Train. It came out in November 23rd, 1995. Um, little backstory, if you remember, there was um, a scene where the robbers squirted lighter fluid into a city subway token booth and then threatened to toss a match. Well, throughout the month of like November and December, this straddles the line a little bit. But people all over New York were in fear because people were actually doing this. And while nobody in the movie got hurt, um, there were multiple people that were burned. And on December 10th, someone died. And this created outrage in New York and placed Hollywood in the hot spot. It was during election year. So a bunch of politicians got all up in arms and Bob Dole with the front runner for the GOP I uh, was calling to boycott money train and all of the subway workers were, of course hated this movie and were infuriated about it and had them take down all the posters. And it was really big deal and, and pretty sad. It was a scary time in New York. I remember.
1: I actually remember that. Yeah. I also remember JLo in that movie.
3: Oh, she was hot. They added a sex (laughs) scene. Like they added a sex scene after they were filming because why wouldn't they, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, also, interesting bit of trivia about that movie there's over 3,000 feet of set that they created in LA, and it's one of the longest sets ever made, they say.
2: Wow. Nice.
3: Yeah. Um, So my second story is out of Australia. Um, Daniel Luther Hess. He joins prison and he gets a prisoner informational handbook. And this guy is just paying attention and he looks around and he realizes that the design for the key was on his prison brochure front cover. And there was a pair of crossed keys on the front cover that were in the shape of an E. And spoiler alert, they looked just like the ones the guards were carrying. Shout out to Daniel, who was very smart, and he was kind of creepy hot, too. He looked like Mark Wahlberg (laughs) (laughs) when I was looking at photos.
1: (laughs) Well, that's good. That's something we we normally can't say.
3: Yeah. yeah. Um, So his fellow inmate murderer, Shane Baker, was pulled into the situation because Shane was a jeweler, and for some reason, he was allowed to have his equipment in the cell, So they broke out together, they made the the key, and they scaled three different fences that were pretty high, and they left a message that said, This bird has flown. I guess they were found like 12 days later, but they had 12 days.
1: (laughs) 12 day pass. I like how you said he joined prison, like (laughs) it was like a membership. (laughs) Like he like he joined the gym or something.
3: It was an
0: exclusive gold (laughs) membership.
1: He had unlimited access to the showers.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) So, you know, huge amount of embarrassment for uh, the 30s in in, uh, Australia there.
2: (laughs) Wow, that's a good one. All right, let's go down to Dallas Lewis once again for the judgment for the final one-point round.
0: Oh, man. So I I haven't heard of Money Train before until now, but the fact (laughs) that you had a movie scene that people wanted to emulate, not like that happens nowadays in, you know, 2019, <laughs> um, basically turned New York City upside down. At least that's what it seems like. And just the design flaw of the prison brochure <laughs> in this Australian prison. And what was he in there for?
3: Um, Murder. Murder. <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow. <laughs> and the fact that they... This prison let this other guy keep his jeweler stuff, which is so weird. <laughs> it is so like here, you can again the membership. Yeah, you can keep your.
1: Imagine your, he was like a like a weapons armor. They're like, yeah, just keep all your shit. No, it's fine. <laughs> got to work.
0: And then you've got you know your same old Jets fans enjoying the failed ASMR experiment, which NBC was. Way ahead of its time on that, so <laughs> Way surprised ahead. they're not trying to get royalties <laughs> off of that from all the YouTubers.
1: You know what's great about that when I was reading the story, because I had never even heard about this. You know NBC was just trying to be cheap as shit and not hire commentators is what it boiled <laughs> down to, because they yeah. were like, oh, we were... They were actually short on staff, and then they came up with this idea. No, they just didn't want to pay anybody to do the games. And they were like, if <laughs> this Nobody works, wanted to do yeah. it,
0: be yeah. honest. Yeah, and they were
1: like, oh, it's a fucking Jets game? Fuck that. On a Saturday?
0: <laughs> and then you've got the uh, Stouffer's Inn fire that basically kills, what'd you say, 26 people? Yeah. And one guy manages to escape from it and a previous one. What did they end up finding out was the cause of the the fire there? Uh,
1: what they said in 1984, years later, was uh, the ladies that were cleaning used some kind of cleaning stuff for the carpet or something, or spilled some kind of cleaning stuff on the carpet. And uh, a fire had started. They initially had a, uh, I think it was another guy, it was like a waiter or something that worked at the hotel. You know those sternos? He spilled a sterno and then cleaned it up. But they initially thought it was him. But then like a couple years later, they they like upheld that and turned everything over and said it wasn't him. He had cleaned it. It was just the hotel didn't say anything. Um, But I think they just they came to the conclusion that somebody doing some kind of cleaning spilled something and then it lit on fire and then it just spread insanely fast. And the design of the building was complete shit and that's why they had that $50 million lawsuit in 1984 they ended up uh, going to all the families because the building was just set up the wrong way there were right. no escapes there was only one method of egress they actually found bodies in a closet after they cleaned up because they said the people they went into the closet thinking it was the exit to the building
0: yeah but they were there before
1: <laughs> <you know? laughs> Ooh.
0: that was all Jerry Seinfeld's ex-girlfriends <laughs>
1: Mark making fun of the dead. Yeesh. (laughs)
0: That's good material. (laughs) Honestly, for what you both gave me, you know, I've got to give this one to the same old Jets. (laughs)
1: Oh, God. (laughs) They got to get something.
2: Yeah, the Jets can't win in real life, but they'll win man crush this round, apparently.
1: Yeah, I'll take it. It's one of those things, like, here's a, a... And this is totally off, and I'm not going to get too far into it, but this is a Jets thing. We sucked ass this year, and now they went on a three-game win streak. We know they're not going to make the playoffs, but they're going to win enough games where their draft pick will be in the middle of the first round. So we won't get that impact player that we really need. (laughs) Same old Jets. But anyhow. Uh, All right, so we're going to a two-point round, so it really doesn't matter where I go. Let's see. What do we have left? Music and hot products. Yep. Let's go music. All right. Uh December 10th, 1980. You know, for once I can bring a movie soundtrack to this round and not feel bad about it. Cuz I think every time we've had a movie, like a movie soundtrack <laughs> in the music round, I'm always like, <laughs>
0: this like, one am you I could be happy this? about.
1: Yeah, this one I could be happy about. Uh, in the case of this soundtrack, one, I've never heard of the movie. Two, I didn't even know that French-Japanese fantasy films were a thing. Three.
2: Really? Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: It has all of seven reviews on IMDb. And it's the last thing the director ever directed. I've seen direct-to-drive-in movies and totally obscure <laughs> movies get at least 300 reviews on IMDb seven to me is astonishing i could get seven on accident on imdb and the name of this movie is you may you may know uh or in english because i'm sure i butchered the shit out of that is dream after dream or at least that's how we translate it i'm sure some like anime person out there anime whatever mango whatever you want to say they're gonna like write in our comments like you fucking idiot but that's how <laughs> i read it
2: Oh, like I did with the Neon Genesis pick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Jenna. Thanks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She has apologized since. (laughs) So you ask yourself, why even bother bringing this up? Well, it's because this extremely unknown movie had its soundtrack done by a band that still tours today, albeit it is with a new lead singer. But up to this point in 1980, they had two hit albums selling around 8 million copies worldwide. They would go on to sell somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 million copies over their careers. This album sold 200,000 copies in its lifetime. And it's sandwiched between their albums, Departure, which sold 4 million, and Escape, that sold 12 million. It's almost like if Guns N' Roses had done the theme to Dueling Decades. That's what this is like. Actually, it's probably even worse than that. (laughs) (laughs) This is dream after dream soundtrack done by Journey. It's not even on Spotify, but you can, wow. you can find it on YouTube and play it. If you're interested in it, you can go on YouTube and play it. It's completely different than most journey shit. It's you <laughs> listen to it and you're like a couple of the songs you could pick up that's journey. Other ones, very jazzy, totally weird that it's in this movie that nobody's heard about. I tried to look for this movie. I couldn't find it. I did read something that said that it's not even on uh VHS or DVD and it was never released. And it was only played like once on Japanese television after it was released. So, wow. Try finding that one. Tell me how it is. I don't even know. (laughs) That's my first one. All right. My second story or my second music thing from uh, 1980. And I got to go over this now because we didn't say it before. We got the saying on the show. If you bring the sadness. Yep. You know, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that you're going to lose a round. And that's on the normal episodes, monthly, week experience, the birthday episodes, et cetera, et cetera. The worst episodes, though, this is where these stories come into play. We even teased last episode about abolishing all the sad stuff. Maybe we do get rid of it and we keep them only for the worst of the month episodes. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, that makes sense because then the stories fit in. Yeah. I think every now and then you're going to have like a huge monumental story that is a little sad. But uh, you know, I think we're all sick of hearing about Princess Dead. I mean, Princess Die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And
1: that's kind of where I'm. Th- I was going here. Uh, this one, it's really sad, and it's super monumental. December 1980. It's really horrible month for music. I'm telling you. You also had Led Zeppelin calling it quits this month, but I. It was used on another episode, so I didn't want to pick it and double down. But this is equally as horrible, maybe even worse. And I won't even go too deep into detail because everybody knows this December 8th, 1980, around 1050 p.m. John Lennon is shot to death outside of his apartment building in New York City by Uh, even worse than that. In spite of that assassination, there are also several suicides of Beatles fans across the world because of this. Bring in the sadness, baby.
2: Yeah, that's that's epic. I've actually been to Strawberry Fields into the spot in front of the Dakota building where he was shot. If you go to the Dakota building and stand in the front, you'll see if you look down on the sidewalk, there's a little sewer grate there. It was right next to the sewer grate where he was shot.
1: It's pretty crazy. Like the whole story, like uh, went there earlier in the day. He actually met them. Yeah, uh, Yeah, he got a fucking autograph and then waited there all day to shoot him in the back.
2: I remember I went to New York in 97, and now you go into all the little shops and they have all the the T-shirts. Yep. There was one there that has the iconic I Heart New York shirt, but instead of I Heart New York, it was I Heart...
1: Ooh. Yeah. That's fucking low.
2: (laughs) I couldn't believe they were selling that. I'm sure the
1: guys selling that have no fucking clue who... Is. and i'm glad that they don't have any clue and i actually didn't even want to drop his name on that because i don't believe in that shit when you see that in the news and there's shootings and whatever and they put the shooter's right. name i don't like that so uh you can even bleep over his name just do bleeps for his name because yeah. fuck that guy beep,
2: beep, beep. Yeah. there you go he was supposed to get out of prison last year but yoko ono put a stop to that thank god
1: yeah his i heard his anus uh, drags on the ground
2: <laughs> on a good day <laughs>
1: <laughs> but anyhow, those are my two. A journey doing some obscure friggin' soundtrack that nobody's of a movie that nobody's ever seen, one of their worst selling records ever. And then uh yeah, of course the uh the death of John Lennon.
2: Wow. All right, Julie. Let's head over to you for the first two-point round. What do you got?
3: So up first I have um The Grateful Dead announced that the trip is over after 30 years in the making. Of course, you know, the death was of Jerry Garcia was in August of 95, which you guys talked about uh, on a previous episode. Four months of heartfelt consideration, the remaining members of the band met and they came to the conclusion that the long, strained trip of a uniquely wonderful beast known as the Grateful Dead is over. And it was the end of an era.
1: Mark's crying
3: inside right now. I am. I know. I'm a little (laughs) foot (laughs) clumped. And so for my second round, I have Michael Jackson Collapses. December 6, 1995, the King of Pop was rehearsing for an HBO special that never was. HBO was expecting over 250 million people to watch this worldwide. And apparently he was just nonstop dancing all day long without any breaks. And it was because of dehydration and heart arrhythmia slash pharmaceutical drugs, probably. yeah. (laughs)
2: Shocker! Lots of pharmaceutical drugs. It was actually kind of an M&M's bowl of pharmaceutical (laughs) drugs. It's trail mix, really.
3: (laughs) So he gets rushed to the hospital, and the first thing that MJ asked for is uh, posters of Shirley Temple. He wanted them all over his his, uh, his, uh, hospital bedroom. (laughs)
2: i do the same thing every time it's
1: jerry garcia though right right. Yeah, the guy
0: at motel six really looks at me strange you got to stop leaving them behind mark yeah.
2: oh that's the problem well they're, once they stick to the wall you, you don't want to peel them off
1: oh that's just weird in all different kind of ways <laughs> Why you're at Motel (laughs) Six with posters of Jerry Garcia, they're stuck (laughs) to the walls.
2: Hey, it's a long, strange trip, man. What can you say?
1: (laughs) Hey, don't don't ask, don't tell.
3: Um, so Michael Jackson's wife shows up a day later, and uh everybody in America is really just wondering if this is the first time that she's seen him in bed. And uh, four days later, they got divorced. Alone. <laughs> Michael Jackson's one night only uh, turned into the worst part of 1995. And that says a lot. <laughs> it was a tough year for him.
1: Oh, man. Wow. That's when he was married to uh, to Presley. Lisa yeah. Marie. Yeah. 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 That was, yeah. That was the weirdest fucking relationship ever.
2: <laughs> Those photos were always great.
1: <laughs> oh, so made up.
2: I'm glad there was never a sex tape that came out called One Night in Neverland.
0: Oh, gosh.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And Elvis did the soundtrack. Oh, (laughs) come on. (laughs) All right, let's head over to Judge Dallas Lewis for the
0: verdict on our first two point round. Oh, man. Again, I'm just like amazed at how bad the music round has been. You know, you had the Grateful Dead. Who had been around for so long and even one of my one of my family members was definitely a deadhead. He still has some of the uh old shirts and stuff in his closet. Nice. So you've got that and you have Michael Jackson going and dancing and going Going down. Going down. <laughs> I was gonna say he couldn't stop till he got enough. <laughs> <laughs> well geez, if he was going down, why did Lisa leave him? Huh.
1: He wasn't going down on her.
0: Oh, okay. It was those Shirley Temple posters. Oh, man. That's just, I never heard that. That's
1: fucking bizarre. That's that is so weird.
0: For a bizarre man to basically want Shirley Temple posters in his hospital room, nonetheless.
2: Maybe they were just pictures of 7-Up in Grenadine. <laughs> At least it wasn't Macaulay
1: <laughs> Culkin posters. That would have been weird. Oh, okay.
0: We're it was finished. Macaulay
2: Cock and dressed as Shirley Temple, really. <laughs> oh, <God.
0: laughs> oh man. And then you've got the obscure movie. What'd you say it was a French Japanese yeah, romance fr- or something? Fan- fantasy. Fantasy. I I've seen some strange animes in this my. This is a- this is live action shit, though. They're, oh like, gosh, I- that's even worse.
1: I couldn't find wow. the movie, but I found stills of it. And it's just it looks weird. I mean, it doesn't even the thing that and this is why I picked this one when I looked at the stills there's no good production value. So it's like how the fuck did you get Journey to do your soundtrack? Like they must have had some dirty pictures of Steve Perry or some shit.
0: I don't know, it's weird. He was on that piano. <laughs> I don't know.
1: He was in the same Motel 6 as Mark. I'm not he
2: was really in sure. The next room over. He was there with
0: Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that if you look at journey's wikipedia page i don't think you'd see that that was on it
1: no it's one of those things like if you have to look past like live albums compilation albums soundtracks and you're like oh what'd they do you may you may new whatever the fuck it's called. what. <laughs>
2: And I bet if you go to their Wikipedia page and add this in, they'll just take it right off.
1: It actually, I think it is in there, like under, it's all the way at the bottom. It's, It's hidden.
0: So I don't think they will ever want that coming back up in any of their stage shows. And plus, it's not one of their greatest hits. So you've got that. And one of the biggest news stories, especially music wise, is the death of John Lennon and just the fallout from that. Oh, my gosh. If you want to talk about one of the things that was the shot heard around the world, that was one of them. Oh, for sure.
1: You know, they talk about uh, the day music died, which is actually, you know, when Richie Valens and uh, Buddy Holly and all them, and they all died. But I think this is really the day the music died, you know, when you think about it. Yeah. It's uh, it's one of them things. It's uh, It's really somber. It's shitty.
0: Well, yeah, and just the fact that you had all these Beatles fans... Like, this was their idol, and then all of a sudden you had all these, you know, suicides and stuff like that, which suicide is definitely nothing to play with. Man, I've as much as I like the Grateful Dead and stuff like that, I I gotta agree with you, Man Crush, is that that was the day that music died.
1: Sad. It's sad that I gotta win this way. It really is.
2: It is. It is. But (laughs) we're still gonna go on to the final round, so...
1: Oh yeah, it gets better. No, it gets worse. I was
0: about to say, how can it get better?
1: (laughs) No, you know what? It gets, I don't know. Maybe, no, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what these picks have because mine's pretty fucked up. But I'm going to defer my last round of Julie. I'm going to let Julie go first.
3: Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Um, Okay. So my first hot product pick is Big John Toy. Uh, This came out in 1993, I believe, but it, made news in 1995 for christmas when a little boy wrote the company a letter because he didn't like that a toilet was called john the slogan was what's a matter big john you feeling a little flushed you say you're full of scuzzies and you're going to explode just don't explode on me explode on the next guy put some plastic scuzzies into big john then push the randomized handle. Will he flush? Will he burp? Will he blow? You will never know. Whoa, oh it's a weird
1: toy. <laughs> Wait, that was the slogan? <laughs> yeah. Now I'm really confused what a scuzzy is because yeah. before I was like, so
3: they're these texturized green little bulbs. They're like a GAC color, and they're tiny plastic things, and and they tell you to keep stuffing scuzzies and flushing. Until Someone Makes Big John Flush Big Time. Oh, God. <laughs> so, so in December of 1995, a nine-year-old boy named John took on Parker Brothers for his potty-themed game called Big John. And, quote, he said, my name is John, and it's an insult to call me a toilet. At the end of the Letter they wrote, or he had eighty-two different other children from his school sign this. <laughs> <laughs> I wish so bad I was at John's school and could have signed that.
1: John's really <laughs> shitty.
3: Yeah.
2: <public>.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a cause, right? You know. So um, yeah, he he recruited all of the the school children, but Parker Brothers really didn't care about it at all. <laughs> he replied back, "Fuck off." Yeah.
2: (laughs) This is why we can't have nice
3: things, John.
1: (laughs) Take these free SCUzzies.
3: (laughs) I looked. I couldn't find anything on it. So uh, if if they had replied or not.
1: Oh, he's an adult now. We should find him and get him on the show. Yeah. Please
3: do. Please do.
1: (laughs) Does it have his last name on there? It does. Oh, it does? Um, Even as a nine year old? Holy shit. In 95, they didn't give a damn. They were like, yeah, just put his address on there too
3: <laughs> yeah right it's Slovak.
1: john Slovak. i'm gonna look for it because that would be funny yeah. to get him on just to talk about this
2: wasn't that the next door neighbor on the burbs <laughs> <laughs> that was the clopex but yeah,
1: mark it's kind of like remember that episode of uh, poop culture we had like a long time ago where i surprised you guys with the dude that was eating a picture of jason siegel every day until Jason C. Oh a yes. picture of him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> oh, I love those stories. Anyhow, go ahead. Sorry.
3: So for my second round, uh, I will choose Left Behind. It released on Sunday, December thirty first, nineteen ninety five. <laughs> it's
1: the sequel to uh, Big John. <laughs>
2: I think it was one of the scuzzies, really. <laughs> uh,
1: their, their backup name was Skid Mark, but they were like, oh, that's going to offend another kid.
0: It's OK, Skid.
3: <laughs> so, in an ad that I found, um, it said, the end of times are in our lifetime. Left behind Tim LeFay and Jerry Jenkins. For the unrepentant, it's worse. Then their worst nightmare, people are missing, disappearing. Is it terrorism, UFOs, aliens from another planet? It's the rapture. Gift value, fifteen ninety seven. dollars Well, this huge turd spawned <laughs> 16 books, <laughs> a left behind movie that had two sequels and a remake with Nick Cage. Oh, so and- you know it's good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Also a PC game. I don't know if you guys ever played it, but you know. So reviewers called this almost laughably dull, fatuous, and boring. I mean, this series established Christian fiction as a significant category, so that's great. Um, I love that every time I see a pile of clothes, I think that somebody got raptured, and I'm very thankful for that. (laughs) It sold millions of copies, but that doesn't mean it's good.
1: (laughs) Just because they made a lot of money. We
3: ended 1995 with that release.
1: Wow. It's only fitting that you would end on a shitty round. (laughs) (laughs) All
2: right, man crush. What do you got for your final round?
1: All right. So uh, December of 1980, I'm going to zip through the first one. Uh, We get the release of Zork by Personal Software. It's a game that eventually got taken over by Infocom uh, for the Commodore PET, I believe. It was on Apple II, the Trash 80, the Atari 8-bit, all those like early 80s machines. Uh, it was part of a three-part trilogy, and they ended up selling about 378,000 copies by 1986. So that one is really shitty. Uh, the initial release of Zork, uh, it was sold and distributed in a plastic, <laughs> like a clear plastic bag. Uh, which included the game and nearly a 40-page manual on how to properly play the game. Uh, Pretty freaking fancy for uh, 1980. Nothing like getting a game in a sandwich bag. Um, (laughs) I actually had a copy of this game for the Commodore 64 years later, so I figured a lot of people did as well, and I thought it would just be cool to remember. I don't think it's that bad, but the thing that sucked about this game, it's really long and drawn out, and there are no graphics. It's entirely in text. Uh, I actually looked it up on YouTube because I wanted to see it again. And there was a dude playing this game for 45 minutes where he's just typing. It's so boring. (laughs) All I remember from this game is dying because you died all the fucking time. You would lose all of your items and you'd have to start over. And God forbid you said jump in the wrong spot. Because if you did, you would jump and die. You would just jump to your death. You could be standing in the kitchen. You say jump and it'd be like, you died. You're like, what the f-? like? <laughs> I jumped in the kitchen. What I hit? Uh, but Zork, it was all text. It, like, I think a lot of people might not even remember this one. But if you go to YouTube, just look up uh, Zork and just watch some people play it, and you'll remember it. It starts out. It says, uh, "West of the house, you are standing in an open field, west of a white house with a boarded front door. There is a small mailbox there, and then you have to go to the mailbox. Then you got to open your forty-page booklet." to figure out what the fuck you're supposed to do and then you go oh okay this one will work examine mailbox and it'll say the small mailbox is closed and you're like oh shit open mailbox opening the small mailbox reveals a leaflet then you gotta go get leaflet taken that's how the whole game goes it's wow yeah it's it's one of them games where you probably don't remember it for a good reason but people are into that
2: so at what point do you decide you know hey I wanted to play a game not fucking read
1: Yeah, (laughs) I mean, you got to think about this is 1980, so we're just we haven't even really gotten to the peak of the Atari 2600 yet. You know, it's coming for another year and then before it dies out. But in the 80, the computer games is what you got. But that's not my big one. That's just like kind of a throwaway. My first pick this one, you guys gotta bear with me with. And this is why I wanted to go last, because this is so fucked up. (laughs) That it's really hard to explain. Like, these guys must have been smoking peyote or something. I don't even know. December 1980. You got everyone's favorite superheroes these days. We have the Avengers, okay? Coming at you with Avengers number 200. By some really recognizable names at the time. You got Jim Shooter, George Perez, Chris Claremont. You know, they're the notable names. It's a special double-sized edition. It features uh, Miss Marvel, Carol Danvers. Uh, You got Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, Beast, uh, Hawkeye, Vision, Scarlet Witch, Wasp, Yellow Jacket. Sounds like it's going to be a good one, right? Like you got all the major players are all in this fucking. I know Mark knows this one. So it's it's funny to me. I can't even watch your face. Uh, The title of this issue is The Child is Father Too, dot, 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 question mark. Let me give you the Marvel description before I break it down. Okay, this is what Marvel has. Miss Marvel undergoes a nine-month gestation period in the span of a few days. Completely unaware as of how she got pregnant, she gives birth to a baby boy, which grows to be a full adult in hours, and begins to assemble a machine. The Avengers destroy it, believing it's a threat. Marcus, who's the child, who's now an adult, Explains himself and reveals that he is the son of Immortus and used Miss Marvel in an attempt to free himself from Limbo. However, with this machine destroyed, his life on Earth has failed and he must return to Limbo. Miss Marvel, feeling a strong bond between herself and Marcus, joins him in Limbo. That's what they had to say. Now, let me break this down for you. Here's the non PC side of what happened in <laughs> Avengers 200. <laughs> Miss Marvel is basically kidnapped into limbo by Marcus, where he uses mind control to rape her and impregnate her with himself. And then he sends her back to her dimension, where she suffers through a full term unwanted pregnancy, where she doesn't even know how she got pregnant in three days and gives birth to Marcus, who grows to a full size adult in hours. Okay. So now, the guy who raped her, she birthed, and it's now her son. So her now son, Marcus, who also raped and impregnated her, falls in love with Miss Marvel. Oh, and by the way, Marcus is the son of Amortis, who is a longtime enemy of the Avengers, and basically did the same thing to another woman so he can have Marcus and then birth him in the limbo. So back to Miss Marvel. She somehow falls in love with Marcus now, her rapist her son, and now a lover. So when Marcus needs to return to Limbo because the Avengers destroyed his machine, she decides to quit the Avengers and go with him. But it, but it doesn't end there. It does not end there. Then on top of it all, Iron Man and Hawkeye wax poetic after they go back to Limbo, right? Hawkeye blames himself for destroying the machine that would have let Marcus stay on Earth so they could have been happy. And then Iron Man says to him, and I quote, we've just got to believe that everything worked out for the best. And Hawkeye agrees (laughs) and says, and I hope that Miss Marvel lives happily ever after forever. So basically they condone the fact that she was raped, gave birth to a rapist, fell in love with her rapist slash son, then quit the Avengers and to move to limbo with this dude Marcus by himself. I am almost positive there was, like, mushrooms going around or something in Marvel. Uh, But seriously, try watching the Captain Marvel movie now after knowing that story.
2: (laughs) It totally ruins
1: it. I didn't even know about this when I saw the movie, but now it ruined it for me. I'm like, What?
2: Well, what ruined it for me is I watched the movie, and this wasn't in there anywhere.
1: No. No, The
2: movie would have been so much better if this was in the movie.
1: Well, I mean, then Claremont, he fixes it a couple months later.
2: Right. Yeah, that was one of the big things. Once Chris Claremont came on to Marvel, became the head writer on X-Men, taking over for Stan Lee, that was one of the first things he wanted to retcon from Marvel was this atrocity with miss marvel i mean it's horrible there's even scenes in this issue where wasp is all happy that she's pregnant (laughs) and it's like no she was raped she thinks it's such a wonderful thing that she's pregnant all of them
1: did though all like i had to go back and i found the uh the issue online you can find it if you google it and you'll see every page and if you read through it you'll just be like what is everybody thinking? Like, because this dude, this guy Marcus, completely confesses everything to them. And they're just like, oh, all right. Cool. All <laughs> exactly. Right. Oh, man. Sorry we busted your machine, bro. And you got to go back to limbo and shit. You know,
2: like. Now, see, I know in the 80s, we swept a lot of things under the rug. And some things were a little more socially acceptable than they are, let's say, today. This is not one of those things, people. No. No. (laughs) At no time is it okay to be raped by somebody who happens to be your son so you can then give birth to them and then fall in love with them. That's just not cool, people.
1: And then quit the Avengers on top of it. And everyone's like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I destroyed his machine, and now they're stuck in limbo because of me. You fucking dope. It kind of ruins (laughs) Avengers, too, because then you look at Hawkeye like, you're a moron. Yeah. And Iron Man, who's supposed to be a genius. He's also a dope. I'm like, what? But yeah, those are my two picks. So we got Zork one and the God knows what the fuck they were thinking for Avengers number 200. But it's double sized. So you got
2: that. So was Marcus. <laughs> yeah. In hours. Oh. Wow. All right, Dallas Lewis. We know Man Crush has already pulled out the victory in this one, but let's go down to the judgment to get the final score on this matchup.
0: Man, that Avengers number 200.
1: (laughs) Did you know about that beforehand? No.
0: Uh, (laughs) Just ruined the whole franchise for you. You just ruined the whole franchise. (laughs) I can't watch another Marvel movie for the rest of my life without going, oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Oh, God. That I was thinking, let's see, Stockholm Syndrome, Oedipus Complex. <laughs> I was listing the mental disorders. I think we've got the whole DMS four. Oh, just they gave you everything. They gave yeah, everything. they gave you everything in that one. That's why it was the double double thick one.
1: Yeah. She didn't come out with the clap, so that was good. <laughs>
0: And I think Marcus is the one who actually gave like mushrooms or something to the Avengers to be like, oh yeah, it's okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, and just no. to, like just to clarify, because I'm sure there's gonna be comic book people that are like, ah. he used he used a Mortis's like, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong. It's like some kind of like device that a used to uh, work mind control over people.
2: I believe that's correct. And,
1: yeah. yeah, and then he used that on uh, Miss Marvel, and that's how he kind of like con her into having sex and getting her pregnant and the whole thing. And then if you would look at the panels in the comic, it's just like a weird sex like situation. It's not even a, it's weird. It's fucking bizarre. Just go look it yeah. up.
2: The whole thing's just creepy. It is. Are there cool trippy colors?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's really well done. George yeah. Perez uh, actually left Marvel right after this. Huh. Cause he was probably like, what the fuck did I
2: just draw? <laughs> yeah he realized what he had just done
0: yeah (laughs) well and if you're talking about limbo gotta have the freaky cool colors
2: yeah
1: i guess
0: and zork i've never heard of uh before and i'm somewhat of a computer gamer somewhat not but it just sounds to me like the original choose your own adventure game
1: kind of yeah Uh, yeah
0: and I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, like, when did Oregon Trail come out? They may have just retooled it and put graphics, Zork, to make it Oregon Trail, so that way, basically, you die almost every time you make a decision.
2: You died of space typhoid.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then, for Julie, she's got the Big John toy, and the fact that this, well, he was nine years old, gets his school friends to write a letter to Parker Brothers, which then Parker Brothers shafts them and basically says, here, free scuzzies for all of you.
1: You said scuzzies, and in my head I was thinking was skeet for some reason. Oh, <laughs> I was like, that's a Not weird the toy. same
2: thing. <laughs> oh, great. Back to the Michael Jackson story. Maybe that's what it was.
0: <laughs> Call back. And then, so... Being in the social circles that I've had, I'm definitely well aware of the Left Behind series. The fact that it had three movies, the original movies, and then you had it come back out like a year or two ago with Nick Cage of all people. And the funny thing is, if you look for Left Behind books, you don't have to look very far because a lot of them are at your local Goodwill. (laughs) <laughs> yes they are multiple copies multiple copies uh of all 16 books in that fact and so even though man crush has won the game man i still oh i'm not gonna get the avengers 200 out of my mind so i've got to give it to the avengers 200. i was like no, i was trying to find something worse On Julie's side, but the fact that you have to throw the whole mental illness manual at the Avengers 200 speaks volumes.
1: Mark, I think you should put, like, a warning right before that. Like, if you don't want to ruin Avengers, don't just turn off the episode, skip to, like, an hour, and then come back.
0: Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Like, I've not read very many comic books in my life, except I enjoy the, uh comic book movies but that one's going to overshadow a lot of things from now on
2: yeah not anymore you don't, you
0: don't. <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to be looking at those oh. harley quinn novels differently too you, you
1: know what's also amazing about it because i told mark about this last night because i couldn't hold this one in. i was like mark i gotta tell you about this one because i looked and looked and look and julie could probably attest to this when you're looking for the worst hot product it's not easy to find when you're looking for the best hot product it's pretty easy to find, I think, because I've been doing it Absolutely. for a while. But like when you look for a worst one, I kept looking and looking and looking. I couldn't find shit. And I had Zork, and I was like, "Ah, eh, that's not going to win me around. So I'll just keep looking. And then all of a sudden, last night at, like, maybe 8.30, 8 o'clock, I, the last, I was ready to call it quits, and I was like, oh, I'll start tomorrow morning. And I found this, and I was like, oh, my God, this is like, this is groundbreaking changes the entire (laughs) complexion of the Avengers for me, like Captain Marvel, everything has changed because of this one comic book that if you're not like a huge fan, you just don't know about that. They did this
0: and man, it's pretty fucked. I wonder how they retconned it. Yeah, I don't
2: remember all of the details on how they did it. I listened to a great podcast about this on uh, Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. They did a whole episode and they really broke down everything in detail and all its disturbingness. So go and listen to that. If you get a chance, that's a great episode. Yeah, I don't remember all the details how they did it, but thank God Claremont stepped in and fixed it.
1: The only reason she came back that I remember is that Marcus died of old age he aged really quickly when he went back to limbo and died and that's why they they brought her back so basically <laughs> she came back because he died it wasn't like oh she figured it all out you know it was, wait a minute
2: so if he died really quickly and he aged to a full adult within hours she was probably gone with him for like a week and well, then he died
1: yeah i mean it was only a couple months later they brought her, yeah. she brought they brought her back in like 81 i think it was march or somewhere around there of 81 so wow
2: yeah, absolutely crazy. shitty all right well man crush pulls out this one but julie puts up a great fight julie thanks for coming on the show tell everybody where they can go ahead and listen to flickers from the cave
3: oh uh please wherever you listen to podcasts uh flickers from the cave we are on instagram and facebook as well so please check us out And thank you so much for having me. I was honored to be here. I've never had so much fun losing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What do you guys cover on Flickers from the Cave? Because a a quick story about Julie, before we came on the episode, I was trying to remember the movie Hands of Steel. We were talking to Dallas about it and I could not remember it. As soon as she came on the show, I said, you're going to remember the name of this movie. I started explaining it, gave her like two lines and she immediately knew it. (laughs) So what is your show about? What do you guys do?
3: Um, mainly, we do throwbacks, seventies to nineties, cult action horror. Um, there's three of us, and we all have our different genres that we love. Um, mine's action, and yeah, we just have a really great time and a whole bunch of laughs.
1: Nice, let's check that one out. And Dallas, when are you? When are you starting this wrestling podcast? What are you doing, man? Now you got a
0: mic. I know. I uh, man. I, I don't know when I'm going to start the wrestling podcast. But
1: tomorrow. Like, why are you waiting? Putting him on the spot.
0: Ah, oh, geez. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you did a great job, man. Thanks for coming on. And again, if you guys haven't been on uh, Dueling Decades on Facebook, DuelingDecades.com forward slash or sorry, Facebook.com <laughs> forward slash Dueling Decades. We do trivia every day. Uh, we have culmination trivias, audio trivia, all that. Dallas is actually one of our green zone trivia leaderboard people. So he's in the top 30 and he took us up on the offer to come on the show and be a judge. And I thank you for that. You did a fantastic job, Uh, not just because I won, but you, uh, you came across very well. You went out, you got a mic in the whole nine. Thanks a lot, man. We really appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you guys for having me. And I got to say, I love the trivia and just the fact that when we go into the new year, all the uh, slate gets clean. So. Anybody can win yes. and can be on here.
1: Thank you so much for bringing that up because we never do. Yeah. and We always forget. So
0: dude, free pump promo.
1: Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so January 1st, 2020, we're wiping the slate clean. So there's over 500 people on the leaderboard right now. It doesn't matter what score they have. Everyone's getting reset to zero. We are naming a champion on the 31st of December and we'll stop 2019 Uh, Right now, like right up top, it's really neck and neck. If you're down at the bottom, you probably have no shot at winning at this point. Uh, I say, but but people in the top, maybe like 15, you got a shot. And what we did for this year, we got a customized wrestling belt getting made with a Dueling Decades logo in the middle. And it says leaderboard champion and the whole nine. It's going to go to one of those top five guys, though, I think, because those guys are they're so far ahead right now.
0: They're neck and neck.
1: Oh, They are neck and neck up there, but it's going to reset January 1st. Then it's an even playing field for everybody. So if you haven't done it yet or if you looked at the leaderboard and you're like, there's no way, what the hell's the point of playing? Just go back and, you know, January 1st, get into the game, start from zero.
2: And while you're at it, Duelers, you can head over to DuelingDecades.com where you can catch up on all of our past episodes. Subscribe to the show on Spotify and on CastBox wherever you get your podcasts. And then like Man Crush said, head over to our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades, where you can join our private group, post some of your own memories and retro content. So until next time, Duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media.